If you missed the first episode of Catalyst, go back and listen. If you're caught up, here's where we left off. Being openly gay, I think that kind of was something people frowned upon because you didn't see that all the time. I've seen in some of the police reports that they've labeled him a, a cross-dresser. You couldn't even tell that he was a man. Once again, I told him I thought that was pretty dangerous because I said, now you're deceiving someone because he wouldn't tell him. But there was a guy that was interested in my uncle. He pulled out a knife and my brother got up and took off. I looked out the window and I saw a truck and um, then they were gone. And then he just didn't come home. I talked to a police officer uh, and he told me in my face that um, Terry, I know Jamie, and he's, he would always tell me that he can't wait to get out of this place. So he's probably gone. Y'all need to just chill out. It's not uncommon for an adult to just leave. They don't want to talk to their family anymore. They don't want to talk to their friends. And so you have to determine, is this a case where they just decided to leave, or was there some foul play in it? We're working on a story about Jamie Mayberry. Wondered if you might know him. You can get off my property right now. That's what you can do. Did we have a right to bear arms, and I'm not scared to use them. So get off my property right now. I'd come across a newspaper clipping from 1993, nearly six years before Jamie Mayberry went missing. It was from a section called Out and About, one of Kennedy's locals rounding up various happenings from the week that was. Not the headlines, not quite gossip either, but part of what makes a small town like this special. You know, things like whose in-laws were visiting, who was taking a trip, who showed up to the Methodist Bible study, and who needed prayer. That week, it was the Mayberry family. One paragraph read, James Mayberry, son of Mrs. Lois Mayberry of Kennedy, is in St. Luke's Hospital in San Antonio with a bad case of pneumonia. At this time, he is unconscious. Please pray for he and his mother, as this is a rough time for them both. He got really sick. sick when he went into and a he coma. Was, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was in a coma for a few, how long? Maybe three weeks. Of, it was a heart problem. Right? Yeah, yeah and he woke up came out of that. Jamie's brother Terry said Jamie always had health problems, even when he was a kid. He took medications for his heart and for high blood pressure, but over the years, it got so bad, he had to quit the cashier job he worked at the local grocery store. He received uh, disability benefits from that. And so when he disappeared, there were months and months of checks just still coming to the house. He wouldn't have left that. Disability checks started to pile up after Jamie failed to return home April 2nd, 1999. By that time, he was 35 and living alone in the same house where he and Terry had grown up. Oh yeah, it's around, it's around here. Just two of eight Mayberry kids. <laughs> yeah, everybody knew us for sure, I mean. <laughs> Their parents had already passed away. Well right now, we're basically right in back of my house. I mean, you could just go down this alley and you're right at my house. It was white and my grandmother had them painted red trim. The house sits a half block off Kennedy's Main Street. The colors have changed since the family left town, now with dusty yellow siding and burnt orange trim. Yeah, this is the room that we were in and that's the door that they knocked on. Gina Littles, Jamie and Terry's niece, joined us that day in the old neighborhood. You could see the truck back out. From right here, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, she'd been staying with Jamie the night he left the house with a stranger. He didn't even take his medicine. He was sick. He didn't take any of his medicines. That was why they knew something was really wrong. I know my brother, yeah. He, he would not have 
left his knees. I mean, he just, his character, is, it went against everything that he is. Initially, they hoped it wasn't such a big deal. Like, maybe he tried to return and just collapsed without his prescriptions. So they started looking around the outside of the house, then down the alley, and even into the woods nearby. That was a trail that led back there, and that was a little hangout spot. Terry remembered it being a strange feeling because those woods had been the site of some of the best memories of his life until then. When we all wanted to get together after school or something like that, we'd always meet up back around in the back, in that area back where that tree is, hook a right, and that's where the party was at. <laughs> Jamie would hang out with you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I could hear him now back there, yeah. When laughing, he had this loud laugh and yeah <laughs> and you could hear him now <laughs> matter of fact we would get caught <laughs> mom would know we were back there because he'd start laughing so loud <laughs> and uh, she could hear him from the house <laughs> y'all come back you get out of there <laughs> oh then every now and then the cops would pull up and we'd scatter and that was fun because they couldn't catch nobody you know and and you would just run all around and you can see the cop with his flashlight, and so th that turned into a game in itself, you know. Jamie didn't turn up. The family filed his missing persons report that afternoon with Kennedy police. Back then, Kennedy was so connected. It was the uh, policemen were like first cousins and brothers to pretty much everybody here. You, they hired locally, you know. We didn't hire someone with credentials from outside or anything. It was, you grew up here, you want to be a cop, you, you know, next thing you know, you're on the police force. Uh, and everything was connected. I pulled state records and found there were only seven police officers in Kennedy back then. I guess that's not too surprising considering Kennedy's population of only 3,700. But then I looked at the time those officers worked here and noticed a lot of turnover which probably doesn't allow much investment on a case that lasts so long. Within the year after Jamie vanished, most of those officers had left the department and the town. Those we were able to track down today either wouldn't talk or wouldn't say much, except that they didn't remember a lot about the case, even though missing persons like this are not common in the area. And to top it off, the police chief from back then, who might have the most answers, died a few years ago. That's why we looked up the man who served as chief after him for most of the time Jamie's been gone. Thanks for meeting with us. Dwayne DeBose retired last summer after more than 15 years in that role. He'd moved to Kennedy and taken the job after his predecessor moved on to another agency. Law enforcement case work now is different than it was 20 years ago. We sat in the back of the local Dairy Queen, the chief's choice. It had just opened for the day and we were the only customers so far. Just kind of be away from the speaker a little bit. But the kitchen was already loud. And then the music started. I didn't realize the music was there. Yeah. <laughs> I paused the conversation and made my way to the counter to ask the worker to turn down the volume. I'm glad I did, because what Chief DeBose had to tell me had never been heard before, and it was important. There was not a permanent investigator. It was basically what they call in small towns, kind of you catch it, you clean it, um, which is unfortunately the way a lot of small departments do. So you could have the newest officer catch the biggest 
prime of his life, I mean, per se. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, that's not a, that's unfortunately not a good thing sometimes. What do you know about the case, really? What I had was what was in the file. You have your formal notes, your reports, you know, and that's usually going to be so tall. Then you have all your other little pieces of paper and scratches and post-its and all those kind of things. And those are not, those are not around. They're gone? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have them. They were never in the file. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the law, the laws change now. All those have to be turned in with the case report. Should be with the case report. Um, back then, no one ever really thought about those. Those are just things that were kept to the side. There's another. There's another something somewhere. Yeah, but. That extra something from the early days of the investigation could have helped with the tips that trickled in over the years. There was the thought that Jamie just left and decided to stay away. But then there were the rumors you didn't want to believe. How Jamie died, where someone cut up his body, scattered it in dumpsters, buried him somewhere, sunk him in a nearby pond. DeVos said none of it was very credible. Then, a few years back, he got a call from an apartment complex on the edge of town. A tip he said sounded so specific, it made him pick up the file, as bare as it might have been, and take a closer look. One of the long-term tenants living there was moving out. We're getting ready to go in there and clean. They're going to move the carpet and all that. And they said when they when they were looking at the carpet, there's a stain. You know, holy grail. <laughs> found it. You know, we found where they killed him. The tip had been someone took Jamie to that apartment the night he went missing, and that's where he died. So we go over there, and we cut the carpet out, and we do the crime scene, and we, I mean, we do, I mean, try to do everything direct, because this could be, this could be the tipping point. I mean, this is the only thing that's ever heard. So we do all that, take this swap, take all this, and they come back and say, nah, sorry, <laughs> it's, we don't know what it is, but we know what it's not. It's not blood. No blood, no crime scene. Apparently it must have been right at the end of the table where everybody dropped sodas and spaghettis and everything else that was eaten. So mm-hmm. The file never made it to the back of the file cabinet. We always had it towards the front, just in case. Because I think some of the players are still here. Of course, when he left, DeBose didn't keep the files. All right, again, good meeting. Need something, give me a call. Chief, thank you. Nice to meet you. So I went to the man who took his place. How'd you first learn about this case? Uh, when you called me. <laughs> the department Rick Ash runs now is almost twice the size it was back in 1999. So I was not familiar with the case at all. Of course, I'm not from here. So. And he just started six months ago, but he'd brushed up by the time I arrived. Reading the reports, I didn't get the impression that they didn't take it seriously. I wanted to read the police report for myself. I'd asked for it earlier, but the city of Kennedy said no. They hired an outside attorney to take a look at my request and eventually tell me, since the case is technically still open, legally, they don't have to share anything with the public, except the basic information. They could give me more if they wanted to, but all I got was the front page of the police report, which was very basic. Jamie's name, address, when he went missing, things we already knew. So what was there they didn't want me to see? Whatever it was, to keep it hidden, they even asked the Texas Attorney General to weigh in. Even in a case that's seen little to no progress lately, sharing information might jeopardize the investigation. By law, I was out of luck. Is this worth it to give up information we have to 
to get the public's help. And, and that's a case-by-case -case decision. But when you have a 20-year cold case? Sure. At, at this point, right. There's no video. Uh, there's, no, there's no pictures and nothing that can be released that I don't think would help. At this point, what we can ask for now is anybody who maybe remembers something to come forward. But who? Didn't police question everyone back then? It's that very short window of, of time you have. You need to talk to witnesses, you need to talk to the neighbors, people around who might have seen something. So I decided to find out on my own. Hello. We're working on a story about a missing persons case just down the block, right up the road, across the street. We searched property records and I went door to door. We're trying to find people who lived here in 1999 to see if the police talked to them back then. The neighborhood had changed a lot, but not completely. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm Josh with the TV station out of Austin. All right. <laughs> Josh Delagarza, pleasure to meet you. Nice I was to meet you. I wonder what you guys were doing. Yeah, we're working on a story about a missing persons case from right around the um, block, 1999, Jamie Mayberry. Mayberry. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Did you live here then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know real well. I know, we know the family real well. Did you know Jamie? Personally, yes, sir, I did. Very kind person, real nice person. Did police come by and talk to you about it? No. No, police never came and asked any of my, that I know of. He didn't come by and talk to me or anything. It just was in a newspaper. If anybody had any information to call it the police, but to this day, nobody's ever known whatever happened to him. If police did talk to neighbors who might or might not have seen something that night, the Mayberry family says they were never told. No one was taken in to ask questions about uh, nothing. It was just that almost Bend your arm back, you know, mm -hmm. do something. Go ask questions, you know. Do your job. Stuff like that. Do your job. They didn't want to deal with this because of the way Jamie was, you know. What do you mean? The way, because he was uh, the homosexual and uh, transgender, and they didn't want no part of it in, in a small community like this. And I think it was brushed under the table. And even though Jamie's niece was the last person to see him, she says she wasn't questioned either. And it was never the police department or any of the law enforcement here in Kennedy. Until state law enforcement, the Texas Rangers, got involved. But what we were about to discover makes you wonder, was it too late? Next time. I was hoping to talk to you about a case that it looks like you worked way back 20 years ago out of Kennedy, Texas. Mayberry, uh huh. Should Kennedy have requested help sooner? The bad thing is that getting called in, you know, after the fact is kind of tough. It makes it harder. Catalyst is reported, produced, and edited by me, Josh Hinkle, along with Sarah Rafik, Arzo Dost, and Andrew Choate. Digital support for Catalyst comes from Dax Dobbs, Eric Henriksen, Nate Mills, Matt Mitchell, Ricardo Ruano, Robert Sims, and Kate Winkle. KXAN's news director is Chad Cross, and its vice president and general manager is Eric Glassberg. Mm -hmm.